uncommon sense advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Seems like everybody wants to write. I remember going into a cab, and for the hell of it, I simply asked, how's your screenplay coming? And the cabbie said, how did you know I was writing a screenplay? Everybody's writing a screenplay. In any case, whether it's a blog or even a journal or the great American novel, everybody, a memoir, people feel a great compelling need to self-express. I must admit that I'm guilty of it as well. Uh, this is not to brag, but to show you my addiction, I've written 12 books and over 4,000 articles, four screenplays, three stage plays, a fat book of poems. I'm crazy. But maybe that puts me in a position to offer you a little bit of guidance. How in the world can I be that productive? Is it all but crap? Well, the truth is that those books, most of them are well published. The articles are published in everything from Time to The Atlantic to U.S. News and over 1,800 articles in Psychology Today alone. So how the hell do I get reasonable quality in minimal time? I think first I'll start with some generic advice about how-to writing. The first thing I do, and frankly, I probably do this if I were writing fiction, is I put myself in the shoes of my target audience. I picture them. I say, what do they want to know that they already don't want to know? That's compelling. That's not obvious. That either I have a new take on or even at least a different take on. And then I might just jot down a few major points like that. Then I will breathe for like 15 or 30 seconds. And then I will start at the beginning. And whatever little introduction pops into my brain, I'm going to start writing it. And I, usually that introduction is something to help the reader know that I am interested in, I'm, I've taken into account their perspective, not just narcissistically presenting my own. So just in the same way as I started this radio show, by saying, everybody wants to write although I started with a little anecdote because that's a good grabber. But I told that anecdote to reveal that I understand the enormous compulsion that many people have to write. So how do I do it? After the first, that first making a few points, I start to write from the beginning, and I usually do not get up from the chair until I have a first draft done. You might ask, you might say, that's going to take hours and hours and hours. They say sitting is new smoking. How in the world are you going to sit there forever? Here's the secret. I write a crappy first draft. I just write whatever comes out of my fingers from the beginning to the end. Yeah, if I get some idea for the middle or for the, or to go back, then immediately pops into mind, I'll go and type it in. But my goal is to coherently, and it's much easier to be coherent when you're going straight through from start to finish. My so, Marty, when you when are coming up here with your ideas, are you, do you sit down with an idea already in your head about what you're going to write? Or do you just sit down and start writing? Or do you already have a plan on what you're thinking about? You know, what am I going to write about? Oh, I have an idea. So I spend my days looking for ideas. Thinking for thinking of ideas, I always I keep a, a funny kind of memo pad called a flip notes with me all the time, and anytime an idea pops in the head or I speak to someone or hear something or whatever, I will jot it down. So of course I have an idea before I start, 
But that's when, after I've come up with the idea, and that's when I sit at the computer and I put myself in the shoes of the audience and say, what do they want to know? And by the way, when I come up with an idea, it is something, not that Marty Nemco gives a crap about particularly, although, yeah, no, that's a lie. Um, it is something that Marty Nemco gives a crap about, but that I also think it's something my audience would want and need to know, or I can offer something different or better. And that, once it passes that screen, is when I sit down in front of my computer and I typically will write a few main talking points, the main points that I want to make. Sit and breathe afterwards for 20, 30 seconds, and then start. Just like, you know, on this radio show, we did no preparation. I did no preparation. I had no idea I was going to start with the story of the, the cabbie and the screenplay writer. It just popped into my head. And now I'm just continuing the talk in what I hope is a coherent way. That's how I write. And then writing a crappy first draft, which I can do in one to two hours for a typical length, which is you know, 500 to 800 words. That's the length that people will read. It's, it's demanding too much of people's time in this modern video-centric era when you're writing how-to to go much beyond 800 words. There's always exceptions. So I really try to say what is the essence of what I want to say in 500 to 800 words that are educational, but also somewhat entertaining, although I don't try to do ha-ha jokes. But if humor organically just comes out of my fingers as I'm writing, I'll certainly not excise that out or use that. I'll stop there. Terry, do you have any questions or thoughts? Just trying to uh, formulate, everybody says they want to write, just like you said. Um, but I think the hardest thing is deciding what to write. That's where, where do you get the ideas? How do you come up with it? Do you make it fiction? Do you make it nonfiction? How do you decide those kind of things if you're really seriously thinking about writing something? You don't even have to be that serious. You just, you know, go through your day. And I'm repeating myself, but this is what it, I can only say. This is what I think is the best way to come up with ideas. You go through your day thinking about what matters to you, what would matter to your audience that's fresh and new. And if it's fiction, great. Think of man, the, the thing that makes for great fiction is not so much plot, although indeed uh, a conflict-centric uh, plot is helpful, but a really memorable, rich character. Silence of the Lambs became a very memorable movie because that character is unforgettable. It's not nobody remembers the plot. But they remember this guy, maybe, uh, you know, having put somebody face in a uh, or with a, a violent rat uh, on some, somebody's uh, face, the thing he was most afraid of. Or maybe I'm confusing that with 1984. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but character. So whatever it is, fiction or nonfiction. And you don't have to write every day like crazy me. Just go through your days thinking about what you might write. What that does it is it amplifies the importance of everything you do, because you were in ten or around. You say, could this be an article? Could this be a, a, a novel? Could this be a short story? And, and what do you, Go ahead. you were saying earlier about um, length. Um, obviously, somebody who's going to sit down and write for the first time doesn't want to write a thousand-page book, right? Right. Usually not. You know what? My very first book was, my very first writing was book length. I tend to like to think big. And back in the, in the 80s, books sold reasonably if they were somewhat commercial. So once I was introduced to the computer, I said, rather than write an article, I'll write a book. And I wrote a book called How to Get Your Child a Private School Education in the Public School. That was my very first book. It was exciting to have a big goal. But some people would rather start small. Could be a 100-word you know, a, a blog post. Blogging is great. You use that very simple software called Blogger. It's free. And you can instantly write your text, whether it's 100 words or 800 words, and 
insert video or, or, or uh, JPEGs. You can even have multiple contributors to your blog. This, the, the realm of options is unlimited as long as you don't expect to make money from your writing. Yes, there is a very few, for example, bloggers who made big, big money. Perez Hilton made $41 million last year from his gossip blog. Wow. But most writers just write because they need to self-express or because they want to entertain people or they want to educate people. Don't think about writing for money. If I, and I'm really being honest with you, although I have been published by the most major book publishers, including Random House, including Wiley, and I've been, my articles have been in the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Time, 20 articles for Time, 20 essays for Time. If you were to count how much I make per hour, I've made per hour from my writing, I certainly could have made more money per hour flipping burgers at McDonald's. Right, right, right. I understand that one. You know, one thing that I was just thinking about is um, I have a degree in journalism. So that's, you know, I, that's what I was trained to do. Um, what do you recommend for people who perhaps don't have that kind of a background, maybe don't have as much knowledge of even just saying the English language or how to put together sentences? I wouldn't worry so much about that. You know, there's an editor under every rock here, <clears throat> especially here in the Bay Area. Write authentically. Write what you think is important for you and for your audience. And then if you don't have the linguistic skills, then get an editor. You could probably go on... Uh, <clears throat> on, um, oh, I don't know, on Upwork.com and find an editor for a few bucks an hour because you can get anybody all, all across the world. If you want to write journalistically and you don't have any journalistic background, there is a very quick point of diminishing returns in terms of how much learning you do about a given topic. Meaning, if I knew nothing about journalism, if I simply Googled journalism basics, I probably could learn a hell of a lot from reading one article. And then I would try to immediately incorporate what I've learned into my first article, journalistic article on something I believe. You know, maybe you're going to use this thing called like the inverted V or something, where you say your most important stuff up front. I don't know. But I think the key is to learn quickly with a minimum amount of reading what you need to in order to try out something, to try out an article. And then if you wait, when I first started out writing, I used to show drafts to everybody. I didn't necessarily accept everybody's feedback, but I considered it. I was like the Don. And they were my consigliere, like in Godfather. And I would listen to what they had to say, make changes where I thought it was appropriate, and ignore what I didn't, and importantly, learn for the future what I need to do. The big thing I learned from that early feedback I was so concerned about impressing people that I wrote long, convoluted sentences that end up being impenetrable. I end up writing now like I'm writing for a smart sixth grader. And that, I think, makes a far bigger difference. I won't sound stupid. And the goal is not necessarily to sound smart. The goal is to communicate. Got to put your ego aside. Yes, I think that there is definitely a uh, difference between some of the novels that you read that are, you know, you're looking up every other word to try to get through the sentence and, uh, and communicating in such a way that it's, you know, it's a natural, natural flow. And, uh, and it's, a, you know, one of the one things that um, I would ask you about is uh, that I think is so important. When I get locked into something that I'm reading, it's because I can see 
what's being written. I can actually visualize what's being told. Does that make sense? That's often very helpful. I want to say a word about big words. I definitely don't search to use big words, but there is a time when a big word or a, comp a less, less used word is precisely the right word, and I will use it because I don't want to dumb down my writing unnecessarily. If the person doesn't know what it is, and if he or she cares at all, they can Google it, and in a, in a second, they'll know what it is. So that's what I think about big words or less used words. Um, so if you were going to uh, suggest the best way, let's say um, somebody wants to just start writing magazine articles, okay. what would you recommend? First, I would probably pick out a target magazine, the one you not only like to read, but think that your writing style and the kind of content you care about is consistent with the stuff that appears in that magazine. And then I would take to whatever time, an hour, a day, a week, to as you walk around through life, to think about what topic would most motivate you to, to write an article length piece. And an article length can be, it doesn't have to be short as a blog post, it can be anything from <clears throat> 500 words to sometimes 2,000 words. And then when something really hits you, then you can use that process I described. Sit down at your computer, breathe, write your few main talking points, think of a lead, an introduction that would be compelling, and then start writing a crappy first draft. And then when you get it done, normally it's a mistake to send it to just one public publication because the odds of it even getting read, let alone published, is too small. So I have a rule of thumb, even at this stage in my career, if I write an article that's not already preordained, like for Psychology Today, I will send it to 10 outlets and knowing I have nothing to lose by sending it. I'll mainly get ignored, occasionally get a polite rejection letter, and just maybe one will say yes. The writer has to stop. Of course, we take it personally, a rejection or being ignored. But the, the wise writer says that's just the way the world is, just as in dating. Sometimes it's, you know, it's very unlikely that your first five dates is going to lead to Mr. or Ms. Wright. You do have to keep going if you want to meet somebody or say to hell with it, I want to be solo for a while. That could pretty much be said for any of this when it comes to writing, right? When you, when you put together a book and you feel like it's ready to go, um, I've certainly seen that it's not all that easy to make something happen with it, although it's a little bit different today, isn't it? You can do some of your own publishing, right? Yeah, that tends to be only a vanity thing. <clears throat> the truth is, with because it's so easy to publish books by yourself on Amazon, it's amazing how wonderful that platform is in terms of getting it published. Because you can, it costs you nothing. It guarantees publication. You can design your cover, your text. It you get seventy percent of the royalties. It's a, a wonderful, wonderful. I used to call it Create Space. Now I don't know what they call it. Um, but the, that very ease of self-publishing means that the odds of anybody reading it, unless you're really a good marketer or already have a huge fan base, is very small. So I've given up on writing books. I've decided that the risk-reward ratio of writing a book is too great. So I write only articles and blog posts. That feels like a worthy 
in the school board ratio. Yeah, you, you answered my question that my next question that I was going to ask is, uh, how do you, you can publish all day, but that doesn't mean anybody's actually going to pick it up and read it or buy it. You have to get out there and promote it, right? Yeah, today that doesn't mean so much getting out there and signing books. I remember flying to Minneapolis to do a book signing at a Barnes & Noble, and there were four people there. Uh, today, marketing is about social media, getting buzz, sending your <clears throat> sending excerpts of your book to uh, very popular bloggers, sending to 50 or 100, hoping that somebody will redo, you know, republish it. Even book reviewers, if you're self-published, they're not going to read it. No book reviewer from the New York Times is going to read a self-published anything. So, you know, writing's benefit lies almost exclusively in the process. My first book, I was so obsessed with getting it done that all I could think about was getting it done. But, you know, once it got done and I, they, the box of books came and I opened it up, it's like a moment of pleasure, just one moment. I had spent a year killing myself to write a good book. And then I only had a moment of pleasure. Well, since then, I've changed. I try, and it's not always successful, but I try to enjoy the process. Think of it as a series of problems. Yes, picture getting it done, but enjoy every part of the process from walking around thinking of topics to coming up with my major talking points, to coming up with an interesting introduction, a series of puzzles, and then not making it too hard. If I insisted on perfection or even excellence in the first draft, it would be painful. So I make it easy by just writing a crappy first draft, whatever comes to mind, knowing I can go back over it again and again if I want to, and that's infinitely easier. After I've got a crappy first draft, which is the hard part to get something down, I then go over it again, I go over it, and I, I look merely for what jumps out at me as easy fixes, and I make those changes, and then I go over it again, and again, whatever jumps out at me. It's like when you're, when you're cleaning a room, and you, you've cleaned up some of the stuff in the room, you notice new things. You don't have to look hard for it. They just jump out, and so that's what I do. I typically will review that crappy first draft five to eight times before submitting it for publication. But that's not painful because it's fun to keep finding the little things to fix. You see yourself inexorably getting better and better and better. The the idea of uh, what you're saying right now pretty much should fit anything that you want to do in life that is going to take time, effort, and may not necessarily give you the uh, the financial benefit that you're looking for, but it should be something that you absolutely enjoy doing no matter what, right? Well, you know, I'm not some dreamer. I'm a realist. And some people, you know, most people need to make a living. And so, you know, most writers, even Wallace Stegner, famous Stanford, you know, professor and famous writer, what did he, he had a day job. His day job was selling insurance. So you may need to have a, a regular job, a straight job to give you the freedom to write, unless you're, you know, trust fund baby, you're willing to live in a terrible basement apartment with you know, dicey neighborhood. So I'm not saying you should give it all up for your art. <laughs> I think it's normally wise for most people, unless, you know, if you've got a real launch pad, you went to a Yale School of Drama uh, for their playwriting program or the uh, uh, USC or UCLA screenwriting program, those can be a launch pad to make your writing a, a career. But unless you're one of those august people, 
you're probably, or the, you know, you were a star at the Iowa Writers Workshop. You're probably wise to have a day job and treat your writing like your serious hobby. And if, perchance, it takes off, and that is usually, unfortunately, going to require marketing, usually social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram for younger audiences. Um, if it takes off, great. Maybe you won't need to sell insurance. But if you have to sell insurance, it'll still try to make the most of being an insurance salesman and enjoy being an ethical, excellent insurance salesman, really listening to people's stories, which leads them to want insurance, and maybe even use that as a subject for an article or a book. That's you just you just read my mind. That was going to say, write about what you know. Yep, that's very helpful. People's first novel normally is at least semi-autobiographical because they do know themselves better than anybody else. And what's critical is not so much that you know the events of your life, but you know the little nuances of what goes through your mind, what inhibits you. That's what creates rich characters and enables you to, to have something that people will want to read. Because they don't just want to read the facts, ma'am. This is not Dragnet. Just give me the facts, ma'am. No. We want a window into someone, especially in, in fiction. We want a window into someone's dilemmas, inner, inner thoughts. And because you know yourself better than anyone else, you're in a better position to identify those and to the extent you can, be candid about them. Well, now they do have folks who obviously have an, a humongous imagination. If you look at uh, some of the, you know, like screenplays and stuff that are out there. I mean, the even, well, even fiction in general. I mean, none of this stuff is necessarily real. So there's a whole other side to that too, right? Yeah. And I do think people vary in that. If that's the way your mind works and you've always got these interesting fantasy scenarios, fine. Maybe you want to write fantasy. But if that's not who you are, don't force fit yourself into that. Write what naturally comes easy. I'm a how-to writer. I'm a how-to radio guy. So I, that's what I focus on. I do have some policy opinions, some conservative, some liberal, and so I feel compelled to write about that. But I tried to write screenplays. And while I got some praise, I felt, and the feedback I got from the most respected people were that my characters weren't nuanced enough, weren't rich enough. And so even though I wrote four screenplays, I sent them to 28 agents who specialized in screenplays in Hollywood. I didn't get one who could even take me on as an agent, let alone turn get one of my scripts sold into a movie. So I just gave it up. It was what's called a sunk cost. I have spent a year learning everything I could about screenwriting with the encouragement. I had a guy on my radio show, Lou Hunter, <clears throat> who was the head of the screenwriting department at the aforementioned UCLA um, the screenwriting department. And uh, he said to me on the show, he says, you know, in preparing for the show, I did a little searching on writing. You're really a good writer. You should write screenplays. Well, that was music to my ears. I'd never written screenplays, and that was really exciting. So I immediately started on a year-long effort to learn everything I could about screenwriting. I read about 12 books, and I immediately, after reading the first one, started writing um, a screenplay. And I sent it to him. He offered to give me feedback. I sent it to me, he says, great, here's your feedback, write another one. So I wrote another screenplay. He gave me feedback, says, great, write another one. 
And after four, he says, great, I'm now going to write you a letter of reference to prestigious screenplay agents. And I then sent my scripts, what they call my inventory, along with his letter to those 28 agents. And I, I got like two responses, both rejections. That told me that, like often is the case, teachers, people who, teachers are paid to be supportive. And maybe he was just sucking up to me because he was on the radio show. <laughs> um, but you really want to get your feedback from primarily from the people who would be paying you, not from the people you're paying, like teachers. Not always. You want to be true to yourself, too. But you can certainly count as more credible feedback, not from your family or friends, although I do take that as that's very good but from people who would potentially buy my work. Now, at this point, I don't solicit feedback for that at all. I just write what I authentically believe is important to me, would be useful for my audience, and have no, I know this sounds crazy, but I have no investment in it working. If I send an op-ed piece to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, I know the chances are one in a hundred that'll get published. But after I click send, it is out of my control and I don't even think about it. Maybe it'll pop into my head a day later or three days later, but I simply move on. And I think that is crucial, like you say, in everything in life. It's the Buddhist thing. You can't control the outcome. You can only control your effort and then you must let it go. And that's what's enabled me to keep writing successfully for so long. I just try to enjoy the process, let go of the outcome, and move on to the next project. So what is the best way once you have actually written something? You know, I want to preface this actually first. I want to start with a different question. Is there a way for anyone who wants to write to find out if the topic that they have selected is something that people are interested in? You know what I'm saying? Like, before you even market research, no. If your best guess is that people would, some subset of people would be enough to be the mass market. I mean, let's say you decide you're interested in stamp collecting. There are some stamp collectors out there. And if you've got a fresh take on stamp collecting, then write the damn article. It may not even be published, but you have something you want to say about stamp collecting. Stop worrying about the market so much. That's a, well, that's what I think a lot of people think that they don't think of it like you're uh, talking about it right now. They are thinking that they want to get it published. That's why they're doing it. But that's you're giving a great example of why just do it if it's something that you love to do and you never know. And you have a better chance of getting published in stamp magazines than you would in getting it in the Time magazine. Right. So now, and then send it to the appropriately targeted publications. And if it doesn't get published, so be it. If it does, cool. So that led to my second question, which was, once you've written it and you want to submit it, how do you go about finding where to do that, the best places to do that, and who to contact? Yeah, there are, there are directories. What I normally do is I, I search on the publication and the word masthead. Uh, masthead is the leadership. And I don't normally send it to the editor-in-chief. I'll send it to the senior editor, managing editor, you know, not executive editor, because they're on the charge of the business side. Editor-in-chief, unless it's a small publication. So senior editor is normally a person with decision-making power who actually read the damn thing. So I'll look for Masthead, or I will um, search the name of the publication. Let's say the Smithsonian and uh, 
or I don't know, senior editor or you know, and managing editor and see if something comes up. Google is the most underappreciated resource. It's free, it's instant, and it curates billions and billions of data points. Don't ignore Google, it's amazing. Once you have, let's say you have a, someone actually says, okay, yeah, great, I'm going to take your article. Um, it's whatever magazine, travel magazine or something, and you've done a travel article, and they accept it, what is the business side of that? Do you are you considered a like a 1099 or how does that work? Absolutely, you're a 1099. Uh, the question is for, uh, how much to ask for. So of course, if they've offered to publish, they'll usually say we'll give you you know X dollars total or X dollars per word, and that may not necessarily need to be accepted. But you're so desperate that you tend to have not a lot of leverage. So sometimes it it can hurt to say. Let's say they've offered you 500 bucks to say, you know, I've seen um, when I looked at Writer's Digest or whatever, it seems like articles of this length and quality would normally get more like 1500. What do you think? So it's not playing hardball by saying, what do you think? You're, you're countering. I don't always do that. Sometimes I don't care, but it may not hurt to ask that, but you are a 1099. You're not an employee unless you're on staff writing a week, you know, article every week or whatever. So you would, uh, you submit and then they'll, they're probably, and what is, by the way, you, I think you might've said this earlier, but, um, what's the average article if you were going to do a magazine, how many words? It, it varies between 500 and sometimes even 3000 in more, more scholarly publications. You want to write at a length. If you have a target publication, you want to write at a length that's consistent with the similar pieces on that publication. So let's move. I'm looking at the clock. We're at a half hour. So let me just summarize briefly. Even if writing isn't going to make much money, it's usually worth doing. It teaches you new things. It clarifies your thoughts. It amplifies the importance of your day-to-day -day life. You're, you're walking around and you're thinking about potential to write an article that might benefit or entertain lots of people. And you can't have a thick skin. You've got to accept that ignoring is the new rejection. And if every once in a while you get a, get high, you know, you get an article accepted, that's a kick. If not, once you've submitted it, just let it go. Give your articles or your self-published book as Christmas presents. And if you keep that kind of mindset and don't expect perfection on the first draft, write a crappy first draft. And if you have that as a mindset, you'll find that you may find if you've got the knack for writing, and believe me, most people don't. But if you have the knack for writing, you will find that writing is among life's greatest pleasures. We're past a half hour, and in respect for my my audience's time, uh, I want to thank you, Terry Rouse, for being my co-conspirator here on How to Do Life. And, uh, of course, thank all of you for listening. And I want to sign off by reminding you that this is Marty Nemco reminding you that we do find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemco, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. Post-production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. 
Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.